All right, if you're ready to study the scriptures, get your Bibles out and let's turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to read a story today about Jesus interacting with a, a young man. And as you know, we're on this series called Resurrection Stories. We're talking about breaking free. And we launched it on Easter Sunday. And uh, we've been on this series that, that really is about getting resurrection life into us that we're living it out in our everyday lives, and there's freedom in the life that Jesus has for us. And really, that's what the Resurrection Retreat is about. If you've had a bunch of stuff that's been hanging on in your life for a long time, you've got baggage you're carrying around that's heavy and burdensome to you, the Resurrection Retreat is several hours of just worshiping, uh, teaching, uh, praying together, and experiencing something that I think, and we're going to teach some very specific subjects on, on how to let go of stuff that, that's kind of glommed onto you so that you can live free. And so uh, I want you to take advantage of that on May 29th and 30th. You can check that out at onechapel.com. And so, um, so today, we're going, to look at, um, we're going to look at an idea. And the idea comes from Jesus speaking, and, and he spoke at this, did, did a, a talk to all these people on a hillside called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' discourse on life and how the kingdom works. And he began to talk about all these things that sort of get in the way of the kingdom of God. And he began to, he began to uh, help people identify the things that caused them uh, really not to be able to embrace the kingdom or to receive the kingdom. And so he, he talks about all these things, and he challenges them, and he coaches them, and he talks about treasures in heaven, and, and how, how we should store up for ourselves those treasures in heaven instead of here on earth, and get our priorities right. And then he finishes the talk. He gets near the end of the talk, and verse 33 says this. I grew up in church, so I heard this all my life, but this phrase, here it is, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What are all these things? What, he says, I'm, if you seek the kingdom of God first, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all these things, all these things. He was, talking about, he was talking about people's careers, working so hard that they lose themselves. He was talking about the focus of their lives, being uh, so full of recognition that they, that they kind of lose their way. You know, recognition is a big deal in our culture. Fame is a big deal in our culture. We want people to recognize us. We want people to see us. He was talking about these very ideas. He was talking about finances. He was talking about trying to get possessions and, and, and being so focused on possessions that they start owning you. And he was talking about, about uh, um, your kids or your family, and being so fixated on your, on your kids or on your spouse that you ruin their lives. Seems hard to believe, but really there's an inverse reaction. When your kids become the center of everything, right, then there's a problem for your life, and you really ruin their lives. They begin to think that everything revolves around them. It doesn't work. Jesus said, seek his kingdom first, and then all these things will be given to you. And so it, he was highlighting an idea, and here it is in your message notes. What you seek first orders your days, 
and therefore orders your life, ultimately orders your life. What you seek first orders your days and therefore orders your life. And I want to just, just say a couple things about this, that the way we prioritize our lives is what creates the opportunity to see what's really possible. Now, now don't, lo- don't, don't check out on me here because you've either heard this before or, or this isn't that exciting. But let me, let, me, let me help you here. Order creates capacity. I don't know if you've ever seen the little illustration where you have a jar and rocks and sand and water. And if you put the water in first, then you put the sand in, then you try to put the big rocks in, it doesn't fit. And then, but, but if you put the rocks in, put the big rocks in first, the most important things first, then you, then you put in the sand and it forms around it and then you pour the water in, it all fits in, in the jar. I've also found it true uh, to, to be true in my garage. <laughs> my garage, you could clean out your garage, it's got all this stuff in it, it's cr- cr- things everywhere. <laughs> I almost said it. And, 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 and you, got, you got stuff everywhere, and it's, I don't know how it gets so messy, but my kids just make a mess, and I take it all out. Everybody thinks you're doing a yard sale. You get rid of as much as you, as you can, and then you put all the important things back in, and you put them where they go. You create order, and it's incredible how much room you have for your cars. <laughs> order creates capacity. Some of us are working so hard trying to accumulate, trying to get everything, but our lives are out of order. And so we can't get as much as we want. We can't receive as much as God wants to give us because our lives are out of order. And you find people like this a lot, and they're trying to, they're trying to accumulate, they're trying to get stuff, they're, they're focusing on all the wrong things. And what Jesus says here when he talks about life and how it works is, if you'll just seek the kingdom of God first, then I'll take care of everything else and everything else will be given to you. The only thing that makes room for the other stuff, think about this, the only thing that makes room for all the other stuff is God, seeking God first. And so this man that we're looking at in Mark 10 had a difficult time figuring this out. Look what he says. He says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. I think, <laughs> I think this guy that was coming up to Jesus, I think he kind of had a little bit of an Eddie Haskell personality. Do you know who Eddie Haskell is or was? Eddie Haskell was in a show called Leave It to Beaver. And in the 50s, it was a famous show, and this, this Eddie Haskell was a friend of the Beavs. And, and, and there was a show about this little family, and, and, and it, was, it, it, was, it had Eddie Haskell, and he would come up and meet Mrs. Cleaver and, and you know, interact with her. And he was kind of a smarmy kind of... Oh, wonderful dress, Mrs. Cleaver. Oh, your cooking is so wonderful, Mrs. Cleaver. I mean, it was just kind of I think this guy may have had a little bit of that. He like comes up, hey, good teacher. I got a question for you. And then he asks him the question and, and Jesus sort of sniffs it out. And, he, and he, I, think he, I think he realizes it and he says, why do you call me good? 
Why are you calling me good? There's only one who's good, and it's God himself. Verse 19, he says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, check out verse 20. Look at this. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a, what does it say? Since I was a boy. Really? Like, I kept all these since I was a boy, right? Like, you're that good. You are Mr. Goody Two-Shoes himself. No, he, there's no way. And look at what Jesus says. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. <laughs> I love that phrase. I love that phrase right there. It's just, he's, what Jesus is looking at him and he's saying, oh, I know you're trying so hard. <laughs> I know you're trying to be so good. You're trying so hard. And, and, and I just, I, I love you. And, and look what he says though. He says, one thing you still lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. This particular story, Jesus and this, and this man doesn't end well because Jesus puts his finger on the very issue that is standing in the way of him following Jesus which is how Jesus does it very often. He'll put his finger on the very thing that is kind of in the way between us and him. And he'll say, here's the thing that I want, and this is what happens to this man. And he, he goes away sad. He, he, he's, he's saddened because he doesn't want to part with his money, with his things. There's nothing that we seek more than money in our culture. Culture is all about the money. And money's kind of the source, right? Because money will get you power and money will get you into places where you couldn't get if you didn't have any. And in our culture, money's like this priority for so many things. Jimmy Evans, a great pastor and teacher, he said this. He said, money offers everything that God offers but without any moral constraint. Everything, that, everything God wants to give you, money tries to simulate it. Provision, power, authority, opportunity, all these things. God, God is saying through his son, Jesus, I want, you to, I want you to understand that the kingdom works so well that if you'll seek it, if you, will, if you will embrace what God wants to do in your life, if you'll prioritize, you will have capacity to receive and accept everything that God wants for you. He'll provide everything for you. And... Um, I think for most people, the chief rival of seeking God first is what happens with their jobs or their careers. There are other things, but, but this, this, this thing in our culture, nothing grips our heart quite the way money does. And that's why, I mean, just as a side note, that's one of the things that I think causes us to settle on the idea at One Chapel that it is important, it is valuable, and it is a spiritual practice to tithe. Like tithing is a, is a tenth, right? That's what the, the word means. Tenth percent of your income. And for some of you, that is really challenging. But here's what it does. It's, just a, it's simply a practical and pragmatic activity that keeps money from gripping your heart. Well, I don't need tithing <laughs> to keep money from gripping my heart. Really? See, I think money gets us. 
And we have to do intentional things to make sure that our hearts are in the right place and that we are establishing Jesus himself, the king himself, and the kingdom as the priority for our lives. And tithing is just a simple, practical way to do that. But that's just money. There's many applications here about how to make Jesus first in our lives, what the kingdom actually means to us. So the question for you, what do you think it means to seek first the kingdom of God? What do you think? What does it look like for you? This man was trying to seek the kingdom of God. He wanted eternal life, but he thought it meant something else. What do you think it means? Here's what John the Baptist said about it in Matthew 3, verse 1. He says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Turn away from sin and turn to God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you go to the next chapter, you will see Jesus saying this very same thing. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does this phrase mean? This is a, a, quite a juxtaposition of two ideas, repent and kingdom. Repentance and the kingdom of God. And we're going to kind of peel that back today because I think if you, the, first, the first way you hear it, the filter that you have, for, for many of us probably, kind of feels very parental. Kind of like, hey, you better straighten up. Or just wait till your father gets home and you're going to get it. Right? It kind of feels like straighten up or, or you'll be in trouble. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. Is it, right? That, nothing could be further from the truth here. It is something so much more loving and grace-filled. The kingdom of God has a whole different idea to it. And, and we see it if we if we move down even a few more verses, here's what in Matthew 4, you'll see it in your message notes there. Here's what Jesus said. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Everybody say gospel. The gospel means, the word means good news. The good news of Jesus himself. The good news that life has come to us. But here's, Jesus was trying to usher in a new age and a whole different way of reacting and interacting and responding to God. He was, he was teaching a response to God that was different than the way the religious leaders had taught the people. The gospel of the kingdom, and watch what it is, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Everybody say healing. So his fame spread throughout Syria, and they brought him the sick, and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond Jordan. There was healing and deliverance and all of these wonderful, beautiful things that were, that were um, sort of ushered into the culture at that moment with Jesus Christ himself. He was God's son, and he was coming to the earth to, to explain, here's what the kingdom really looks like. Now, he, this, this verse says, has a phrase called the gospel of the kingdom. He describes it as the gospel of the kingdom, and the gospel is important. It is a centerpiece for everything we believe, but I want you to stretch your mind a little bit. The gospel is the center, but the kingdom are all the ripples, 
all the effects of the gospel. The kingdom is bigger than just the simple good news. It, it has repercussions. The kingdom is huge. What Jesus came to usher in was more than just the good news. The good news is the catalyst for the establishment of a new way of living and a new way of thinking and a new way of identifying yourself and a new way of interacting with this world. And so the larger message is what we're looking for. So what is the kingdom? A huge subject. We're not going to have time to do it in 30 minutes. Okay, let me give you three things, four things really. Number one, the kingdom of God is heaven. When Jesus taught how we should pray, you know what he said? He said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in where? So, so wait a minute, so, so go with me. So heaven is where God's will is done, right? Right, perfectly. Is earth? No, God's will is not done perfectly here on earth, so the kingdom of God is coming from heaven to earth. Kingdom of God, it would, you would be right if you described the kingdom as heaven. And, and Jesus himself is coming, and he will establish his kingdom in the fullness, in its completeness one day, and we will see a new heaven and a new earth. But, but that's not all it is. It's also power. The kingdom of God is power. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.20. He said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The last thing we want to do is sit around and listen to Pastor Ross teach all the time. What we need is power. Power. The kingdom of God is a life force. It's resurrection life itself. It is something that's not ethereal, just thought about and discussed. It has energy to it. There's something. It's living. It's active. Number three, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, not just trying to be right, not just trying to do right, but actually God making you right through Jesus Christ, making you right with himself. That's a miracle. The kingdom of God is righteousness, right standing with God, peace. It's not just the absence of conflict. No, it's a deep and abiding peace that transcends understanding. It doesn't make any sense when you're going through the, one of the darkest periods of your life. How does that happen? It happens because the kingdom of God has come. It's what the kingdom is. And joy, it's not just happiness from, from happenings, but a, 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 a sense of joy that comes from knowing the king himself, which leads us to our fourth definition, when I, which I think is the one that trumps all the others. Number four is the kingdom of God is where the king resides and rules and reigns. Where the king resides, now I want you to think about the implications of that. So wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. The kingdom of God is where the king resides and rules and reigns. So if the kingdom is in us, if the king is in us, the kingdom all the facets of the kingdom, all the repercussions of the king himself, the kingdom and all that he wants is in us and with us, that he's for us. What have we been talking about the last several weeks? Freedom is not just the absence of something. It's not getting rid of something. Freedom doesn't come from just getting rid of stuff, but it's the presence of someone. And once he is established as the king, 
then everything begins to be determined. All the decisions, all the directions begin to be determined by the king himself. And that, that's the good news that comes into our lives, that you don't have to be responsible for everything, that you don't have to figure everything out on your own. Like, that's really good news, that you have somebody who knows everything, who created all things, who's going to help you figure it out and show you what life really means. That's the, that's the work of the kingdom. And, and, and we, we see this kingdom, and it happens not in a way that is, um, that is sort of abstract, but it happens person by person, family by family. Jesus begins to tell us what to do. We begin to obey him and we put him first in our life, in every area of our lives. And as we do, something begins to happen to us. We, we start changing. There's a transformation that goes on. And then, we, and then we do things that are really good. Like good works begin to come out of us and we begin to serve other people and, and things begin to happen in our family that, that, that break down the darkness that sort of lived in us in the past and, and creates light and life and peace, strength and joy and grace and it begins to come out of us. But here's what happens so many times when people become a Christian. They become a Christian and they're like, oh, I'm a Christian now. I need to act different. So I need to try harder. Oh, I, I believe in Jesus now, and oh, I, you know, he, he, he loves me so much, and, and now I got I to gotta really try to do better. I got I to gotta really work at this because I'm really a lousy person. I really, need, I really need to fix these things. Nothing could be further from the truth, the way the gospel functions. It's not about you fixing things. It's about you and me surrendering to the king. Surrendering to the king and just letting him have his way. Oh, that's so easy. It's so easy. It's so easy to just surrender because surrender is just giving up. What's hard is fighting him. <laughs> Here's what I want you to get. It's not good works he's after. It's your own heart he's after. It's knowing you and me. Because here's the truth, and this is the, sort of the pivot point of the whole message. God has not asked us to do something for him. He doesn't need us to do something for him. He's asked us to do something from him. From him. These things come out of us. They, they come out from, from our, our personality and our temperament because he's working. Now look, this is, a, this is a city that has so many charities. There's a bunch of good work being done in this city. You know what? And that's really good. But there's a difference between good works that are just ways of being nice to people and good works that Jesus said somehow glorify his Father in heaven, that create spiritual repercussions, that cause some kind of impact spiritually in a person's life. This is the kingdom of God coming into the world. It's the kingdom of God coming into a person's life. And then when we fail, when we, when we fail miserably, when we are foolish or when we disobey, what happens? He's the source. His kingdom is right here. He's the source of everything. He, he calls us to do something really amazing when we fail. You've already heard it. John the Baptist, Jesus said it. What, what is it? Repent. 
Repent, we kind of look at this word and kind of think, oh, that's, oh, that's kind of a heavy word. No, it's the most positive word in the whole Bible. It is all positive. How do you think God responds when you realize, oh, I really messed up. I'm so sorry. That was, oh, God, I'm so, please forgive me. I'm, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I don't know. I mean, you've been doing this a long time. I don't know if you're ever going to learn. So many of you see God that way. It doesn't have anything to do with God. He never treats you that way. When he has true repentance, when you turn to him, when you look to him, because the word, the, the Greek word is uh, metano metanoio, and it means to think differently after something. Metanoio, which means to think differently afterwards. And so it's not just turning away from sin. That's not repentance. It's turning away and turning toward God and thinking differently about the situation and what's going on. It's thinking differently about how uh, lying is fulfilling. It's thinking differently about cheating. It's thinking differently about, you know, when you, when you, when you are tempted to do something and to take something from work. What is that? That mentality, you know what that is? That is, I need more. I'm not getting enough. I deserve it. They owe it to me. I'm going to take these stamps and I'm going to take them home. It's called pilfering. You know what pilfering is? You know, this is pilfering. It's like, it's like, like taking stuff that doesn't belong to you. You're stealing. You know what that mindset is? I got to get more. I don't have enough. When you get so mad and so angry and you haul off and just yell at somebody and you, you just call them all kinds of names and it feels so good. Come on, doesn't it feel good? It's like, yeah, that feels good until later. See, the kingdom of God comes on you and, and, and teaches us that there's something different, a whole different way of functioning, that a soft answer turns away wrath. That things that we want from our lives that we think are fulfilling, right? The kingdom of God turns it around and says, no, this isn't how life really works. If you choose unforgiveness, it doesn't destroy that person. It destroys you. It doesn't destroy the person who hurt you. It destroys you from the inside out. The kingdom of God helps you understand this and prioritize everything so that you begin to do the, the, the good works, the good things. <coughs> Excuse me, but they're not, they don't come from you. We repent of doing things on our own. We repent of doing things on our own, and we, we do things with, in cooperation with God himself, with the king himself. This is how the kingdom works. And we do this because God's kingdom is at hand. It's right here. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, he didn't mean it's coming and it's here and here it comes and it's continuing to come even though that is true. What he meant was, it's not a chronological phrase. It is a geographical phrase. What he meant was, it's here now. It's all around you. The kingdom of God is present here and now. And we can change the way we see reality, recognize and experience the kingdom of God among us in our lives and what God wants for us as we interact with him every day is he wants us to see it from his perspective and not ours. Now listen, so we got a modern day parable we got to talk about to make this really practical. Modern day parable, here it is. Just as Jesus said the kingdom of God looked like different things, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is like a radio station. The kingdom of God is like a radio station. And, and when you listen to your radio, like if I listen to the radio in my house, is the radio station in my house? 
No, the radio station is somewhere else, and it's sending out this huge signal. But the signals are in my house, right? The truth is, right here, right now, we're, we're in church, and all the signals, all the stations are broadcasting all around us. It's everywhere, right in the air. The kingdom of God is everywhere. It's here. It is, he's waiting. He's looking. He's watching. There are moments that, that God wants to unfold in your life at the dinner table or at work or in your relationships, and he wants to unfold them right here, right now, if you'll just receive what he has. The problem, problem with radio waves everywhere is we need a receiver to get it. He wants us to receive what he has for us. But if it's not plugged in, it doesn't work. If it's not turned on, it doesn't work. If it's not turned up, it doesn't work. But he created you and me to be receivers. And so check this out. Number one, you got to plug into the source. Who's the source? That's God himself. You gotta, that's becoming born again. You plug into life himself, born again. You start a new life in him. There's power. There's authority. There's grace and and strength, that's plugging into the source. But then, you know, what, you know what happens? You can plug into the source. A radio can be plugged in, but it's, it just, you don't turn on the power. If you don't turn on the power, the radio doesn't work. How do you turn on the power in your Christian walk? You know what you do? You seek God. You may be plugged into the power, right? But you've you got to turn on the, the button. You've got you to turn on the power source that it's coming into your life. How do you seek God? Well, you, you seek Him by... By coming to church like this, you seek him by worshiping. You seek him by, even, even for a very few moments at the beginning of the day, you get up and you pray and you ask God to, to give you everything he has. You become a receiver. God, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I know you have stuff for me. So, so Lord, let me have it. You seek him. You read the scriptures. We seek him. It's active. It's intentional. It's a, it's, a, it's a turning on of the power. And number three, you tune into the station. Tune into the station. You remember, you remember the old, older radios and they got that little dial and you kind of like, and then it tunes right in. It takes a little work. It takes a little attentiveness. You know what that is? That's like hearing God's voice, hearing his voice, being able to tune in to what he's saying. This is how the kingdom of God works, and it takes a little work. You've got to be a little bit attentive, and you have to, to kind of just dial it in just right and, and, he, and to, to tune your ears to hear his voice. And then four, you've got to turn up the volume. In order to hear it, you've got to turn up the volume. If you want other people to hear it, you've got to turn up the volume, which means do what he says. Do what he says. This is where Jesus was describing I want people to see your good works so that they'll glorify my Father in heaven. These are the things that have spiritual repercussions and you're turning away from, from your own way and you're turning to God's way and that is the most positive thing you can ever do and God never responds negatively to it. He will always respond positively. You will never find one example in the Bible of God responding negatively to a repentant heart. And so I want, you to, I want you to receive the kingdom. Let the kingdom come alive in you. It's all around us, and we're tapping into it. And a life of freedom, a life of resurrection power is lived in. We live it out 
by seeking the kingdom first, by allowing the king to reside and rule and reign in our lives. Close your eyes, bow your head. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you now. Let him, let him reveal to you where you're prioritizing poorly. Let him just speak to you over the next few minutes, and we're going to come to the table of the Lord, the Lord's table, and we're going to receive from him. We're going to become receivers today. But there's two kinds of people that are here in the room, and one, one kind of person is like really struggled with even knowing, believing in Jesus himself, trying to figure out who God is, and you're just, it's like, it's come alive to you in these moments that we've had together, and you're, you're realizing he's speaking to you, and he's calling you. Maybe it's been a really long time since you were, you had any connection with God, and he's, and he's calling after you, and you want to respond to him. I want you to, I want you to take the opportunity this morning to respond and receive from him today. The second kind of person in the room is the kind of person that, that is a believer, a, you're a Christian, you, you are trying to live well and live rightly, but you found yourself so distracted, veering off course because you've been drawn away by prioritizing everything so poorly in your life. You haven't, you haven't, you haven't made Jesus first, you haven't, you haven't been seeking the kingdom. You've just been just surviving and trying to hang on, but you're, you're starting to be distracted by all kinds of other things, and you've put these things in the way of Jesus himself, and it's, it's time. It's your moment. Today is your moment to clear all that stuff out. Clear it away. Remove it. Reprioritize and receive the kingdom that Jesus wants to bring into your heart. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. But before we come to the table of the Lord, I want to ask you, if either one of those describe you, I want to pray for you. And you just say, Pastor Ross, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I know God's working on me right now, and I need to respond to him, and I want to give you a chance to do that. So just shoot your hand up in the air right now and say, yep, that's me. I want you to pray for me, Pastor. This is me. I, I want a new understanding of the kingdom. Yep, a whole bunch of people in the room. Who else? Who else? Yeah, yeah, don't, don't, don't pull back. Don't wrestle. Don't, don't resist in any way. Just keep your hand up in the air right now. Let the kingdom come to you. Become a receiver in this moment. Yeah, good decisions all over the room. Okay, put your hands down. Now I'm gonna pray for you. And I want you to pray this prayer with me and you just ask Jesus to come do whatever he wants. Father, we repent of our failures and our foolishness. We repent of doing things our own way, of insisting on our own way. Forgive us for being so obsessed with our careers or our relationships or any number of things have sort of gotten in the way and we've stopped prioritizing our life with you at the center. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. Heal us. Bring deliverance from being consumed with these other things. We want to make room for you and then put you first so that we can have greater capacity to receive everything you want for us. Greater capacity 
to receive everything that you have for us. We thank you for this. We love you. We're so grateful. This is really good news that you love us so much and you want your kingdom to be established in our lives. We receive it now in Jesus' name.